Welcome back to the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we're talking about the Book of Boba Fett, Episode 4, The Gathering Storm, with special guest Zuhair Ali. All that and more after commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Uh, normal co-host Ashley Coffin couldn't join us today, but Zuhair Ali was kind enough to step in. Uh, Zuhair has been a guest on this podcast a couple times before. He, along with Jay Scotty, are the co-hosts of the Animation Deliberation podcast, a great podcast in animation. And Zuhair was part of a lot of the Bad Batch coverage with us. So, Zuhair, so good, glad to have you back with us. I'm no Ashley Coffin, but thanks for having me back. <laughs> you know, we like to get different <laughs> voices on here. So... Uh, let's kind of catch up with you a bit first. What have you thought of the Book of Boba Fett overall before we got up to this episode? It's been a lot of fun. Uh, definitely been enjoying the way that they've been doing mm-hmm. the storytelling, and it is a lot more laid back than what Mandalorian and Bad Batch and things have been. They they really are just taking the time focusing on the development of the character. It's not as mind-blowing mm-hmm. as Mandalorian has been, but it's been very enjoyable with a lot of good moments in it. Yeah, I think it's a good way of putting it. You know, when... Mandalorian started, I think a lot of us, myself included, were looking forward to a story that was just about people in this world. And it wasn't about the Galactic Empire and it wasn't about uh, the Force and the Jedi and all that kind of stuff. And the story that Mando gave us was good enough that even though it involved a lot of those things, I mean, it was a lot closer to the sidelines. But even even though it involved those things, like, okay, but this is a great version of that, so that's fine. But, but yeah, I kind of feel like Boba Fett is actually giving us that, you know? Like, maybe there's going to be some tie-in down the road, but so far, this is just about who runs the criminal empire on this one very out-of-the-way backwater planet. And it matters to these people, but, in, like, to the greater scheme of things, whatever happens in the show, I don't think it's going to have any influence on anything really beyond this planet, and I yeah, kind of love that. Yeah, it's almost held to kind of like the same regard as solo is with the movies where it's like disney plus has kind of set a standard to where all of their star wars and marvel content needs to blow it out of the water every time but it doesn't hurt to just have Mm -hmm. these properties that are just leisurely in these worlds that are just a much smaller story that it doesn't have to blow your mind maybe one episode will maybe a couple of moments will but i really like the pace i really like the edge like i don't feel like i need to watch it the second that it comes out and I'm okay with that. Like, I waited mm-hmm. until it was time to record uh, to to take the time to watch this yeah. one. And less likely for people to spoil it. Uh, there's less um, There's less of, like, it's amazing or it's terrible. Like, we can kind of hit that middle area a little bit. If you like it, great. If not, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world for Star Wars fans. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think I am enjoying this. I don't think it's going to be in my... You know, 20 years from now, when I want to watch some Star Trek content, Star Wars content, this is not sure. the thing I'm probably going to watch. You know, I think there's things in Man- Mando would definitely be higher. Even yeah. Bad Batch might be higher. Uh, in part because, you know, it's the double-edged sword. As I keep saying, I want something that's not tied into the larger story that's just about the world building. And that's exactly what this is. And I think because of that, as you said, I think I think if you haven't watched Mandalorian – you probably aren't going to know much about all the stuff that's coming in the next five or ten years. And maybe this story mm-hmm. will affect that as well. But, yeah, it just seems like, you know, there's no Grogu. There's no Remnants of the Empire. There's no sort of early formations of other things. It's just... It's and it's so expanding we'll everything goes. we already know, if anything. Yeah. 
So what'd you think of uh, this episode? I really liked it. It closed down uh, basically all the flashback stuff. So now we're like on track to deal with what needs to be dealt with. It really added um, mm-hmm. a lot of his, a lot to his character of like what his intent really is. Because th- for people who like don't read books or source material or anything like that, from the original trilogy, like we don't know too much about Boba. So it's like, why does he want right. to be a crime lord? Why is he tired of being a bounty hunter? Why why is he taking the direction that he does? And this kind of solidifies that. We've seen enough of his adventure, enough of his flashbacks, and enough of understanding where clones from came from and how they developed to know what his motive for everything is. And now that we're on track with that, like the rest of this is very enticing because when I saw the Pikes in Bad Batch. I remember telling you, it's like, I want to see more of them. I'm excited for them. And now that they're here, I'm like, I'm terrified of them. This is going to be fascinating. Um, They're they're such a good in that regard because they're so different mm -hmm. from the Huts. You know, think of how the Huts came in, all these people carrying that thing, and they must all have strength 21 or 18 plus because I, I mean, the fact that, that you can see them people. all struggling and, like, moving their fingers and, like, dropping down a couple mm-hmm. times, that was the best part about it. Like, they are not having a good it, time. It is nice they acknowledge <laughs> that. Yeah. It is nice they acknowledge that. But, but yeah, I, I remember part of that was also, I think, I think I said to you in that conversation, I want more pikes, but you can't do the pikes live <laughs> action. And this is clearly proving me I was wrong. And, and you know, oh, where it's going with the huts is the huts are all like big and bluster and here we are and here's our monsters. The pikes are so oh, yeah. understated. And I, I just love that. It's such an it, it's so much more menacing in that. Yeah, regard, because you know? they're they're able to have civil conversation. They're able to be cordial, but when it's time mm-hmm. to like get things done, like their guns blazing and they handle things quick and they're menaces and it's that's just very exciting yeah. to see in the context of like knowing what the action is capable of in Star Wars now. Like these last two mm-hmm. episodes, choreography wise speaking, could be some yeah. I I, I don't yeah. even have words for it. I'm just I'm I'm very I'm very excited to see what they do with it. There were some great fight scenes in this episode and it is a little unfortunate thing that um, I, I, both myself and Paul Hoppy, who's a regular guest on this show, has been on a number of shows, are huge fans mm-hmm. of Robert Rodriguez. And in part, like, I mean, I fell in love with him because of Desperado, which I think is one of the best action movies I've ever seen. And I know some people didn't love that the fight scenes in the first couple episodes of Boba Fett and kept saying, oh, Robert Rodriguez can't direct action. And I... This this episode, I think, has by far the best fight scenes we've seen mm-hmm. yet. And so I was like, look, clearly he can. And then I realized Rodriguez didn't direct <laughs> this episode. So maybe there's some truth to the fact that he's lost his touch. I don't know. But um, I- I'm definitely enjoying all of it. I feel like the action that's been in the series so far has been appropriate for the context. Because mm-hmm. we're talking about... We're talking about people who have only known their style that's worked for them. So that is going to be a little more broken up. It is going to be a little more raw. And that was those, the, the scene around the fire was really beautiful for me because there actually are uh, Filipino martial arts systems like the Psyox who, when they have their annual gatherings, they actually do light up a fire and do their techniques around the fire. So that's stuff that like, that I've seen like through my systems in modern day mm. so being able to see like a, a different relationship it, with the tribe aspect because we have that the the motto of tribe and the fact that the line right. of saying like you can't go far without tribe was 
that needs to be on a shirt. I will definitely buy it the second it is. So he's it. It showed that Boba's not interested in being like a one man show anymore. Like he has this sense of community. He has a sense of family and he wants to push forward with that. Like he he's trying to find his greater purpose and everything that he's doing from this point on is taking those steps to get to that and being more than just Boba Fett. Yeah, and I especially I I think it's a great way of of tying back into what you were saying before about how this episode shows his mm-hmm. goals because it shows that he wants the family, it wants community. But the other thing, and I think it it as you said, we got so little of him in the original movies, a little bit about him in the uh, we got something about his father in the prequels, and then we get like young Boba in the Clone Wars TV show, but it's still not much about adult Boba. But we did we get to see that he basically was just like he was working for mm-hmm. people, and and he kind of was getting kicked around a little bit sometimes, you know, like he wants Han Solo, and he wants to be able to deliver Han Solo alive because he caught him, and Darth Vader's like, eh, if we catch him, don't worry, we'll pay you, yeah. you know, and and then he's like, well, okay, you're kind of with Jabba, so you've got to go out to this Starlock pit and then get eaten because of it. So so when he's saying, like, he doesn't want to work for these idiots anymore, he wants to do, he wants to be in charge, he wants to be his own captain, like, I I looked at everything that happened to him, and I thought, yeah, actually, that, that kind of makes sense yeah. for you. And what's interesting is that I was, I was watching all the episodes today with my buddy who's never seen Boba mm-hmm. or Mandalorian. So after we finished this, I found a uh, a montage on YouTube that showed all of Boba's fight scenes, basically. And mm. not only these encounters that he's recently had with Fennec, but meeting... Uh, is it Din Djarin? I'm so used to calling Mando, I forget his name. Yeah, Din Djarin. So meeting Din Djarin, meeting the other two um, Mandalorians, all those encounters that he's had, like that's kind of helped with this objective of yeah. wanting to go forward. Yeah, because originally, I mean, he's a guy who fights in a suit of armor, and he's not punching and hitting. He's using yeah. weapons, you know? He's And so seeing that, I also just, the, the other part of it that I love is, I, I think we often think of Boba Fett as, like, we, you know, he's the guy with a badass mm-hmm. armor. He's got a rocket launcher and a jet pack. And so we think of him as being this primarily physical character. Mm-hmm. But when I remember those movies, like, to me, the single most impressive thing he does is that he's the only one who figures out that Han Solo was going to try this flyaway with the garbage yes. truck, you know, and and that he's that that he was still there to begin with, and so it's that like it's never talked about, but to now say that Boba Fett is actually very smart and a very good plotter, and is upset that he was working for people who weren't as smart as him, like yeah, I think they established that in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So seeing that built on is really cool. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like what else. This was a really long episode. Like it was. Yeah. I, there were so many points where it's like, oh, this is where it's going to end. This is where. No, this is where it's going to end. Yeah. Oh no, we're just going into a whole other thing right now. Okay. Uh, but I think my favorite part was definitely, and we can't not talk about this since we haven't in so long. But uh, the kitchen scene was beautiful yes. when he popped up and the the knife robot the knife droid like put us up i was like general kenobi like you can't not say right? that it was such open. a general grievous thing <laughs> oh, like I, I looked at that droid who's just chopping everything and i was like that it reminded me a lot of that moment in mandalorian where they show the the thing that's on the frame of the at at walker that's now being used as a crane to like move things in and out of the water you know it's like 
all this technology that's all we ever saw is it being used for mm-hmm. war. But like, frankly, like most people aren't going to have to fight a battle against clones or droid yeah. armies. They're just going to have to get through their day. And I and so I love that robot, my, my the droid. The one objection I have, and you only get this if you watch the subtitles. But in the subtitles, they call the one who has all of the knives and is chopping everything the chef droid. <laughs> and they call the other droid, who clearly is, like, it seems like, is, like, f- f- taking orders from that first one, sous chef droid. But, like, one of them is doing all of the chopping, is literally the sous chef in that moment. So I was huh. like, come on, guys. Like, get get the cooking technology maybe, right. Maybe he, maybe he just right. got mad. It's like, you're not chopping right. Go deal with the frog. <laughs> Well, that's it, but I, maybe, but like, he's also so much better equipped to do sous chefing things, you know? Like, stick all the extra arms on the actual sous chef. That's anyway, all right, funny. moving on. Let's get back to the beginning of the episode because, uh, as you said, I think this, you're right. This is the kind of wrapping up of the Tatooine, of the Tuscan part of the story, which I, I think I'll be fine with. I admit I'm very disappointed by, though, because I, I wanted so much more of their story, especially after a bunch of them got mm-hmm. killed. Um,. But what I did appreciate was last episode when Paul and I were discussing this and Ashley, I was saying this felt very much like a, a dances with wolves story of like, you know, he came, comes along and he's like, he's not the white savior, but he's the human savior who gets the Tuscans to learn how to fight. And, and, and what Paul said was that he thought that, that what I was missing was that it wasn't, it, it's a commentary on the dances with wolves story because the point is that Boba, that it's Boba Fett's fault that they all got killed. And and I and I didn't see that, but now I have to definitely say like I think Paul was right because we get this great moment where he 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 says that he that's the guilt he feels is that he tried to organize them, but he didn't understand what was going on and got them all killed. And 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 so I really appreciated that moment. I think I can see both sides of it because at the same time, like those trains were going by shooting them anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was just a little more immediate that they gave the biker gang more intent to do it just to kind of clean it up quicker mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i kind of see both sides of it i think that i think mm-hmm. i think boba's involvement of it just made it to from a slow burn to just a quick incineration just knocking them all out at once yeah i, I guess i didn't see the train as wanting to like genocide wipe them out i just saw the train as if they're in our way we'll shoot uh, them Whereas now it's like now we're gonna go after them to their. I home. guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he he finally had that little taste of like the brotherhood and all that because these right. events are before he runs into Din. So yeah, this is kind of like his first taste of the brotherhood vibe mm. and just because he was content with just staying with them, he didn't yeah. really want to leave Tatooine or do anything else. He was like, all right, this is where I belong. Now, so one thing we learn is that. Um, because he goes from, uh, you know, finding their dead bodies to wanting to go out and, you know, uh, seems like get revenge of mm-hmm. some kind, as it turns out. And he goes to find Fennec. We know that it's five years. The events of Mandalorian are all five years after Return of the Jedi. Did, were you a little thrown to realize that th- that the scenes we were seeing him with the Tuscans was actually supposed to be a five year time period? Because it, it, it felt like... I, I was like, that didn't feel like five years. I get that you want to get to Fennec here, but I don't quite buy I that. I think I just kind of saw it coming. Like, I was waiting for that connection to come up. 
because there was a mm, er, there was an earlier episode i can't remember exactly which one it was where i thought that they were leading to that and i was like oh i was wrong it's not quite there yet um so i think i saw it coming and i think his uh, the scars on his head were kind of a reference point because early mm. on, like his, his, you could see like how mangled up his head was. But in this episode, it looked mostly healed, and I felt like that was supposed to be the mm. indication of the time pass. Okay, I can see that. I can totally yeah, see I that. mean, I guess. Yeah, I was just waiting for it to come up, so I guess it just mm. didn't surprise me that they got to it. Yeah, that's fair. That's really fair, and it, and it did feel like a good way. I mean, I think we always knew that it was Boba who had rescued her. Back in Mandalorian, but it was really nice to see that and to see how that whole thing happened. Uh, and so he takes her, gets her on the back of the Bantha, and goes to basically a droid body modification shop where, you know, instead of tattoos and piercings, what the cool kids on this planet do is get, you know, droid parts, which is funny because it means that the kids who are doing it, like, you know, uh, however many years later, I guess it's actually not that far in the future, maybe like a couple of years yeah. later. Um, yeah, so actually that's not very far in the future, so never mind that part. But, but yeah, what'd you think about getting to see, like, you know, what, what the bad kids do on Tatooine to be cool? It was weird. What do they call it? A mod parlor? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, Disney, I guess, is trying to add their flair to it without taking mm-hmm. us out too much, but that was just one of those things that stood out a lot. Um, the, yeah. I mean, the logic of it was pretty cool, but just with how flashy they made it, that's what that's what kind of threw me off. Like, yeah. this is very EDM music, and everything's just bright colors, and, you know, just very hipster vibes, I guess, for Star Wars standards. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, you, you went uh, hipster, because to me, it's 100% cyberpunk, you know? Yeah. Like, and this is, like, that's not really even a big thing today, but, like, you know... 15 years ago when I was going to goth clubs a lot and there was a lot of, you know, like the people dancing with like the kind of cyber yeah, streamers yeah. in their hair and the, the big stompy boots and uh, the, the goggles and the headphones and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but I, I, I definitely think it was a little like, eh, this isn't quite the feel we normally get, but I can kind of go with yeah, it. Yeah, because isn't, uh, isn't the whole point of tattooing is that it's broken down and hard to find work and... Well, and yeah, so these kids are really bored. <laughs> like, that's, you know... Like that, though you often see it, like you know, tattooing coming out yeah. of you know kids being bored and having nothing to do and wanting to kind of rebel by by strapping the stuff. I on. guess it doesn't. I can do without it, but I'm I'm not bothered that mm-hmm. it's there. If that makes That's sense. Fair. That's fair. And help me. You may remember better than I do. I don't remember seeing that Fennec had all these modifications when we saw her in Mandalorian. Did I just miss it, or or is this a new reveal? That she's been so severely modified. It was in season two. I actually forgot about it until they did all of that. But there was a point where, like, I think she just, like, opened up and she was like, ta-da! Just to show that, like, Boba had saved her. Okay, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It was kind of cool. And I I, I liked the... I think it would have felt off if she was immediately just like, oh, you saved me. Cool, let's be buddies. You know, I like that there's some tension between them and, and that he... That that he is on this a little bit more idealistic, like let's let's kind of be out for ourselves, and and she's still just like no, just like go to whoever's gonna pay the yeah. bills, you know. Yeah, she's like, I'll help out if you're willing to buy. Like, what what was the deal? Like, I help you on this mission, then our debt is clear. He's like, that that's fine. Yeah. And then kind of sweet talks yeah, exactly. where it's like, I need brain and muscle. You happen to have both. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and I also I think one of my other complaints I've I've enjoyed quite a lot of mm-hmm. it. Don't get me wrong. I think one of my complaints about the first three episodes was it felt like they weren't using Fennec Shand enough. She was often just kind of like glowering in the background while he was doing yeah. things. And so I, I liked that she got to do a lot more. She got to be a badass fighter. She got to have a lot of great more lines. She got to have a lot more perspective. Yeah, I think I think the logic behind it is that they just didn't want to show all their cards because yeah. he's still trying to establish himself and he he doesn't want everyone to know what they're capable of until absolutely necessary especially if they're on the brink of a war mm-hmm. because he knows at this point that there's pike interference uh what the state of everything is that people aren't respecting him people aren't looking up to him so he wants to have as many assets and as many secrets as he can so that when he needs it it's like this is our true power yeah yeah I also I like that he's going after his armor because that clearly becomes a thing for him even later when he he shows up Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I was pretty certain the Sarlacc was dead after he climbed out of it. It looked real dead in episode yeah. one, so I was a little like, eh, about the Sarlacc coming back to life. But it made for a fun scene, so I was fine with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely after that bomb went up, it's like he's dead now. <laughs> oh god, yeah. And what a great callback to the prequels. Yeah. It was still that kind of sonic yeah. boom kind of thing you know that i just had that weird noise that was they so did good. that in mandalorian too in one of the scenes he just dropped in boom it's like ooh, mm-hmm. i know yeah. what that does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um just one other thing i wanted to say about the that whole like the 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 body marred part i think it was also the music the music felt very cyberpunk yeah like it, if that if if I was playing the Matrix soundtrack and someone slipped in like this music, I wouldn't tell the difference. You know, it Fair. felt very much like that kind of especially thing. because they're so like keen on their like their Western finds, like do do do, and then it's like uh, that uh, yeah, exactly. that does, that stands out quite a bit there, bud. Yeah, yeah. Interesting choice. All right, so I think I think then we uh, uh oh, I, there's not much to say about it, but just the the scene of like the biker gang with him then kind of, you know, it's, it's in the, it's the modern day equivalent of like bikers getting attacked by a helicopter or a fighter plane. You know, it was, I wanted a lot more of him tracking down the bikers. Like, I feel like that could have been a whole other episode of him, like figuring out exactly what happened and why. But if you have to give it to us quick, that was a real bad I scene. loved it. Like, the cinematography so behind good. that was stunning. Just a low shot looking up. And you see it like it's about the size of the fly when it's coming in. It's just like, oh, oh no, yeah. they're dead. They're so dead. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, he's seen enough of them at this point, right? Like, he stole their bikes at one point. He saw how they handled the people in the bar. And then they took out his people. He was just like, no, F you at this point. And bah, 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 bah. And yeah. he went just throwing a missile in there while I'm at it. Like, even the assassins in the first episode, one tried to get away. He could have just shot him. He was like, no, I'm just going to blow you. So, it's just it shows how petty he is at the same time. It's like, I don't have time for your shit. Um, you all are dead. I have said – I've deemed it so. You know, it's funny because – Earlier in my note, earlier in my notes, he we, we talked about this a bit, but he has a great line which says, "I'm tired of our kind dying because of the idiocy of mm-hmm. others." You know, and that that that's to me so much about like why he wants to go out on his own. And I had a moment of like between like him standing up to the profiteer from the last episode and him having this kind of idea with Fennec of wanting to like save all the bounty hunters. I, I wrote my notes like, is he becoming too much of a good guy? And then we got to the bike, him just like <laughs> slaughtering the bikers. 
And he hasn't actually proven that they're the ones who killed the Tuscans. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence, to be sure. I was like, no, okay, yep, he's still an no. anti-hero. He's still... They left their brand on the tent. That's true, yeah. yeah. But again, even that, that doesn't mean, like, so is it the whole gang? Is it just, like, two or three of them who did it? Oh, that's just <laughs> ain't messing with them like, now. At <laughs> <laughs> no point. He's... This is a Frank Castle, not a Matt Murdock yeah, approach. That's exactly to justice, what I was going to say. You know? He's very, he's very anti-hero in this scenario because it's like, uh-huh. yeah, he's trying to do better in this and that, but he's still a, he's still a crime lord. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's let's fast forward then to the the modern day. Although it's not really too much of a modern day. Um, you know, we we talked about the chef droid, um, and I I will. Uh, so Gonk was the droid who became like the MVP of the Bad Batch. This isn't Gonk; it is a different droid. Uh, but one of the first things Fennec does is just blow away this like very cute, harmless <laughs> droid. And I have to let you know, the internet is up in arms. Oh my god, is it really? <laughs> like, oh, there's all these like Gonk tributes and like pictures of Fennec with like a cross on her, her face, no. justice for Gonk. And it's just like, I, I like, it's not Gonk. I think it had four legs and Gonk only had two, but it's a very similar design. But it was like, yeah, I was, I don't know why she had to do that. So I think it's funny <laughs> that that's become the internet. Like, you know, justice for Gonk is definitely a thing on TikTok and Twitter. I love right that there. right before that, there's a line where she says, like, what's the price on my head? Like, I just want to, like, cue over to that Gonk droid just peacefully walking at the beginning of that scene after she says that. Right. I mean, it seemed like right. he was more of a fuel droid as soon as it opened up because he was the only thing you saw walking down. It's like, oh, there's got to be, mm-hmm. I guess she knew that too because. It feels combustible yeah. and yeah, skadoosh. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Skadoosh indeed. Skadoosh indeed. I was like, oh, so, the poor uh, thing. So, yeah, actually, so, so now we fast forward to the modern day, um, and uh, Craston is back. I, I did you believe for a second that when he walked away, <laughs> he was gone? I mean, you don't create Nubaka as the character <laughs> often referred to, and not uh, not want to keep him around. No, just the way that he ran off, I was like. Where are you even gonna go? But the fact that he's just—I right. didn't expect him to just be getting like drunk at a restaurant. I thought like he would have <laughs> to get called back or something, or you know, like be at the port like refueling or working on his mm-hmm. ship as he was leaving. But he's just like, nah, it's been a rough day. <laughs> I I love it because you know with Chewbacca, you always had this sense of like if Chewbacca weren't so well behaved, he would be an absolute mess. Yeah. But because he is like, I've got this life debt, I'm a noble creature, you know, he wants to get home and celebrate life day, like, you know, he's just a a noble kind of guy. And so having this one who's like, you know, (laughs) we see the Trandoshans, who, by the way, another race that started live action in, they looked ridiculous in Empire Strikes Back, but then really developed in the com, in the, in the animated shows and here again, I think actually look much mm-hmm. better live action. Um, they're gambling. They're being a little bit loud, but they're not doing anything actually like nothing to, to yeah. him. But but Crast uh, Craston uh, is just like nah, screw it. I'm gonna get into a fight with him. <laughs> and then my personal favorite is when he's holding this one last guy up, and and the woman at the bar um, is is just very happy to say like, look, look, just. We'll pay off your bar tab. We'll settle this up. All you have to do is put him down. And he's just like, like you said, yeah. And he at least rip his arm off, you know? Like, I was just like, you make no sense. And it's so badass. And I love you so much. 
Yeah, me and my friend were talking about how great the uh, <laughs> the the Lego Star Wars games were for the complete saga, especially because of the sounds and everything. And one of my favorite parts mm-hmm. was that Chewbacca would pick up a stormtrooper and rip off his arms and just go pop pop. But the fact that you actually heard the scream and he just like threw his arm out, I was like, oh my god! I never thought I would see that in live action. Right? Well, it's kind of like when the um, you know, early in that first episode of Mando, and someone gets decapitated or cut in half by the closing yeah. door, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, that's that's this is not the show I thought we were gonna get. This is Netflix MCU. This is not movies MCU. It's like, you oh, know? how we've grown. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's so great. And, it, and it's so subtle, but I also just thought it was a great callback because in Star Wars A New Hope, the original movie, you know, at one point, uh, you know, Han is saying, be careful, don't beat them at like, you know, Jedi chess game, whatever they're mm-hmm. playing. Because as he says, you know, when Wookiees get upset, they'll rip your yeah. arm out of your socket. And we never see Chewbacca do it. But here we see like, yeah, you make a Wookiee upset, he's going to rip your arm out of your socket. <laughs> just the fact that he was drunk and he was just kind of like because i wanted to that was the only reason why (laughs) because i wanted to you looked at me wrong you're annoying me i'm just going to torture you now yeah uh we also do have the um the bar owner saying to saying to craston you know like but uh, i think i'm totally i'm sure i'm mispronouncing that name so i'm just gonna call him nubaka um the way a lot of folks have like she says to him this is a more civilized time and I just had to be like, I, I guess, than what was happening five or ten years ago. But you're still, this isn't Coruscant. This is still the Wild West. Out yeah, here. you have a civilized establishment, but look at the environment around. And I guess, you know, she was talking about, like, the times where he was a gladiator and people were cheering him on and stuff like that. It's like, mm-hmm. that's not you anymore. Like, you're more than that. And he was like, nah. <laughs> yep. Totally. I, I am intrigued to see like what that gladiator life was like, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if it's kind of like a battle planet version of uh, um, of of from the MCU on yeah, Star like, Wars. Do, do we have see, a, see a Star like. Wars Sakar? Yeah, <laughs> I would like Thor that. versus Nubaka. I also there's just so many little Easter eggs in this episode. I just kind of give a shout out for one more, which is Max Rebo. Um, Max Rebo is the big blue. Um, kind of piano player who we saw from the Return of the Jedi bar, who in the novels, at least in the Legends canon, if you go into Google, you'll see this, like there's a whole thing about his long storied musical career and that he created this form of space jazz, uh, which is very unfortunately known as jizz. Uh, That name was come up (laughs) by George Lucas. Swear to God, that's true. Um, but yeah, Max Rebo is like a music god in that world. So to see him just like, it's like, okay, cool. Like you weren't on the, on the sale bar. You're still surviving. I'm happy for you. <laughs> good for him. So yeah, definitely good for him. Um, yeah. And then I, I think then we get to the, after some fun, we get one more last scene, which is where, you know, uh, Boba pulls together the heads of all these other families and wants to talk about how the, the pikes are taking over and they're the real enemies and he wants them to all unite together and i think this was intentional but i got huge godfather vibes you know from all of them kind of aligned together can we unify the families against this one enemy from outside yeah they're they're also shysty too Mm -hmm. um it's like what is what is their real motive like are they trying to pin boba and the pikes against each other just to reap the benefits of it and it's 
it's interesting that he was asking for the partnership, but he settled for like, just be neutral. Right. Let us deal with this. Don't go to them if they ask. Because there is like corporate vibes of like, it, I mean, you mentioned uh, Daredevil references before, but like, it's like, hey, Fisk is trying to get you to leave this building nicely so that he can turn into a shopping complex. But if you don't, like, we will just blow the whole thing up. Like, it's right. fine. And that's the vibe that we're kind of getting over. That's that's kind of what the Pikes are doing, where it's like they're trying to charm you and be on your side and this and that. Right. But at the end of the day, there's this galactic corporation that has a great spice trade going on, and they don't need any of these people in their place. They could just shoot them down if they want them to. But like, do they under do these families understand that? Do they understand the extent of like what the Pikes are capable of doing, and that they actually have no value to them? So are they going to understand? that inside with boba at some point are they actually going to provide resources or like are they just going to make things even more difficult yeah i mean it's a good question especially because on some level boba fett's doing the same thing because like you don't know how much this was planned but it certainly did seem like it was planned you know they're all saying to boba well like what are you going to do to us and then all of a sudden, they're reminded that they're all standing right over, like, sitting over a Rancor pit, you know? And the Rancor is, it. like, pushing itself up through the thing. And it's like, okay, yeah. So, Boba's got some muscle as well, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, the second there was hostility in their tones, like, he was ready. It's like, what would you say to Daddy? Yeah. I, I, I like that. That's not that Boba sort of, like, poked him to do that. But just the Rancor could sense the hostility and went guard dog mode, you know? Because there was so much emphasis on how much loyalty they have to their owner that you mm -hmm. could tell it's like one of them stood up and that was when the, the tone in his voice changed and that's what triggered the Rancor. Oh, you're right, yeah. You know, it's funny. Between this and that Bad Batch episode about the little baby Rancors that looked so oh, adorable. yeah! <laughs> I was like, talking to Scoots about that. There's no way I'm going to be able to go back and watch Return of the Jedi and see Luke kill that poor, <laughs> horribly monstrous but lovable creature, you know? Like, Especially, like, his, uh, his keeper is, like, holding on to him and, like, crying oh, over, yeah, like, the so dead. Sad. I was like, no! So like, that part was enough. I didn't need to know, like, this much detail about the species. Like, wow. Look, Danny Trejo told us, and I... I don't care what his character's name is. It will always just be Danny Trejo. Yeah. And, and part of that, I say that because in the Muppets, uh, the uh, Muppets Go to Jail movie, uh, Danny Trejo, he's just Danny Trejo. Like all, like Ray Liotta's <laughs> playing someone, but it's like, that's Danny Trejo. So that's, that's fantastic. Uh, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I think that's about all I got for this episode. What about yourself? Uh, just how much I love the rat catcher and the fact that he's in the palace now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely awesome. That's gonna be a fun. Like, he was like, "Do you know who I am?" He like, "Yeah," <laughs> just turns himself off. He's like, "I'm not dealing with this." Yeah, <laughs> it's like, man, I wish I could do that. Right? That's a smart thing. Like, totally going to like shutdown mode. Just, just hit hit the power button when you've calmed yourselves down. <laughs> I don't need to deal with this. I like that a lot. <laughs> All right, well, Zuhair, so good having you on. I know you're creating a ton of content. Uh, tell us more about what's going on with uh, Animation Liberation. Yeah, so the two big projects we're doing right now is Young Justice. The first half of season four is on its mid-season finale, and they're taking a break until the springtime, but 
as usual, that show was phenomenal. Love every mm-hmm. second of it. Uh, a lot of cool storytelling going on. Um, they're also at risk of being like canceled again due to just studio nonsense. Right. And it's based very heavily on its streams. So if you guys need something to watch while this uh, Marvel rut is going on, Young Justice on HBO Max, guarantee that you will like it. Just at least give the first season a try. Uh, it would be very helpful to the huge fans. Uh, and then in the anime realm, we're currently covering Demon Slayer every week, which is oh, nice. crazy. Like, it's oh, it's a jaw-dropper of an episode every week, and it's been so much fun to cover and just geek out over. So, That's yeah, awesome. check out Animation Deliberation for anything animated. Yeah, I love what you all are doing. I, I really I, I enjoyed the first season of Young Justice. I didn't really fully get into it, but then listening to your coverage of it, I think it just kind of like unlocked a lot of things about it, and I've been really enjoying yeah. it now, going through it and seeing more of it. So definitely check out that stuff on Animation Deliberation. Of course, you can find my podcasts all by going to theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find more about the Star Wars podcast, the Superhero Ethics podcast, where we've been doing coverage of some of the Batman movies. We just did an episode about the Golden Girls. Um, Because, you know, living in Miami on a teacher's salary, that's a superpower. Uh, (laughs) We have uh, new episodes coming out soon about um, the movie Jaws, uh, both the making of it and also all like the character net. Because, you know, that movie is about businessmen who don't want to deal with a disaster and just you know, want want to not worry about safety and keep making money. No relevance to our world today. Um, but then we're also <laughs> going to do something about Ipmon, uh, uh, which is a great movie from a while ago. And we're going to tie it into Cobra Kai. So a lot of great stuff there. Oh. Um, but, of course, the other thing you can find if you go to theethicalpanda.com is all our contact information because we want to hear from you. Uh, I love the conversations we get to have with people. Uh, I love, uh, you know, some folks give permission to to talk about it on the air. Some folks just want to like Facebook chat or send emails and share ideas. And I love all of that. You know, whether or not you want your stuff read on the air, it's great just to share your thoughts. And um, uh, but if you do want it read on the air, even better. So you can email, Facebook, Twitter, all that's on the website, theethicalpanda.com. So on behalf of myself, Suhair, thank you all so much for listening, and have a good day. Mm-hmm.